Welcome to The Q, Conversations in Digital Media. This podcast is brought to you by Q1 Media, digital campaign execution and optimization since 2004. Our next episode is queued up and ready to roll. Thank you for listening. You're in the queue. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Queue, presented by Q1 Media, of course. Uh, of course, just if you have any questions or want to reach out to Q1 Media and get somebody to answer, uh, what's the next thing with Connected TV? Or, hey, how much forecasting can I get for the, the Tampa Bay market with uh, going after adults 2554? I, I don't know that answer right now, but <laughs> get in touch with us and go to our website at q1media.com. And one of our service specialists will be able to answer any questions you have. Uh, We had our amazing guest today, uh, Paul O'Brien. He is a very, very smart, intelligent thought leader within not only the marketing industry, but within the technology side of things. He got his start back in the 90s, uh, really started in the broadcast radio side, but then moved into building websites. And that's what landed him his first gig at Yahoo in the mid-90s when everything was really taking off. Uh, Now he is a uh, capital venture startup. He works with um, startups to get funded. Uh, He is the director of Media Tech Ventures. Um, here in Austin. So if you know you are a, an entrepreneur, somebody to, wanting to start a business and, and need help, listen to this podcast. Paul O'Brien has a lot of things to say and a lot of great advice. Um, and you can reach out to him, do a quick Google search, Paul O'Brien. He's uh, SEO Brian, if you want to do a quick search online or Twitter or YouTube and any of that stuff. Uh, but it was a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. This is the cue. Paul, thanks for joining us here in the queue. We appreciate you coming in. Good morning. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, be- so... Beautiful office space here. Thank I'm you, thank really you. Really kind of impressed. Very characteristic of Austin. Well uh, done. Well, we try. At least with some... We're in the Longhorn room right now, so if we don't have Longhorn gear in, in Austin, Texas... So, you, something's wrong. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's going to happen. Uh, no, but... Uh, so did, did you... Traffic, it's 4th of July week. It wasn't too bad this time. No, school is out. It's it's uh, it's summer in Austin, so of course it's going to be 120 degrees out and, and 110% humidity. So we got that downside. But no, with school out and the holiday week, there was there was almost no traffic. I left an hour and a half ago to get here, and I only live about 10 minutes away, which is why I was early. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Unexpectedly. You were only five minutes early. I though. didn't have any traffic to deal with, right? <laughs> That's good. And so you have kids? I do. I have three oh, kids. Cool, cool. Uh, pretty much raised here. Uh, born in California, but... Uh, for all intents and purposes, Austin is home for them. They're Texas. And for me now. Yeah, yeah, we've yeah, been here yeah. a while. And you've been here for t- 10 years, I, correct? You know, it's, I, it's 10 years, I think, in October. But I have to arm wrestle that with my wife because we're never entirely sure, right? <laughs> once, once you become a family and, and your parents' days just kind of blur together. And uh, how old are you Suddenly, kids? it's a decade later. My oldest is 14, oh. on her way to uh, the Air Force Academy, maybe, oh, wow. uh, after high school. And uh, my, my 12-year-old is uh, a performer, uh, loves the circus. She's got aerial arts tonight. Great, great place aerial Austin arts. is for that is kind that of like thing. Is like Cirque du Soleil? It's exactly like Cirque oh, du Soleil. Oh, my goodness. I didn't yep. know they had this for yep. kids. Yep. Yeah, right. When we grew up, you had, like, taekwondo. Yeah. And, and that was it. Karate. And now they've got – and my son is 10, and he does parkour. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's evolved a lot since, uh, since the 90s and 80s and such. I mean, we had hacky sacks in the 90s, and that was pretty yep. much it. That, that was, break dancing was a whole thing right? that became a fad. Right. That was On the box, with yep. the boom box. 
I think we should bring that back, frankly. That would I be a very Austin thing to do I, downtown. I would probably pull a muscle. I can't do that anymore. <laughs> and not to say that I could even do it that well. So You're here. Yeah, exactly. I'm still, I'm still here. Uh, well, Paul, I guess, where are you from? Where, tell us a little about yourself. So I, I grew up in uh, Michigan, uh, 80s and 90s kid. Uh, and so it was a time in the economy when, when Michigan was struggling a bit, uh, I think. And so my, my family moved around a little bit. And, uh, and, and there was no such thing as uh, computer games or, or video games yet. The, the first Nintendo came out uh, back then, and so I was a bit of a computer geek and, uh, and, and looked at my options for college and decided to bail out of Michigan, right? I, I didn't really see any future prospects in, in corn farming or, yeah, or the, the dying pharmaceutical industry that was up there at the time. The soybean fad hadn't happened yet, I and guess. No, no, soybean fad hadn't happened yet. The, <laughs> the auto industry was struggling. That, yeah, that's starting yeah. to come around finally uh, in Michigan. So it was, a, it was a wonderful place to grow up, uh, make no mistake, because it's a beautiful state, uh, and, and especially in the summer, the, the perfect place to be. But uh, then economically just didn't feel right for, uh, for college. And, but your and parents saw that you were into to video games and, and the... The, as you say, the, the nerdy sort of stuff. The, the nerdy sort of stuff. Not not enough to be an engineer, but uh, we had. I, I built an Apple IIe computer of sorts. I, I put together the parts of a computer. So I was that kind of just interested hacker in, in technology, and uh, and and so that drew me to in college playing with that stuff a little bit more. And and the rest is history. Where did you go to college? So I fled to Arizona State. Oh, uh, so you went from one end the to the opposite. <laughs> the desert. <laughs> Absolute opposite yeah. climate, yeah. Um, I, it just fell in love with, uh, well, to be honest, fell in love with the fact that it was a party school. Yeah. Uh, it was voted number one for like 20 years straight. It was voted number one every single year I was there, uh, and, and I, I'm pretty sure I'm the reason for it. Yeah. <laughs> so so in, in college, I uh, would build websites, taught myself to code. What year, it's so, so this what is year is this? Mid-90s. Oh, okay. Mid-90s, and, and so computer science was still computer science. I mean, there, you know, there was the tech classes, but, but there really wasn't anything designed for the kind of work we do today. Mm-hmm. Uh, marketing was still very traditional marketing, for example. And How so, did you find the code? Uh, How the process to code? Well, well, back then, it was, you know, the Wild West, right? We were still dialing in when I started uh, and, and, you know, heard the, the sound of the modem ping and pop, uh, and AOL was still a big thing, and, and it was an era where everybody was helping everyone try to figure things out, just, just like today, frankly, if you really know how to use the internet now, uh, but, it, but it was an era where, you know, there were enough folks explaining how to write uh, open, open bracket, I don't even know what it's called, because I'm not actually an engineer, you know, the open, open arrow, HTML, closed arrow, and, and, and the rest, you know, you just kind of figure out as you go, it was, yeah. it was that kind of website, and so wow. it looked... Looked terrible, um, but it worked, and, and it and it fit very nicely with my music interests, and and I was in broadcast and communication in college, and so I built a website about uh, the music industry, uh, and that got the attention of the right folks. What was the music? And, what and type of music? Pulled me away. Uh, m- music history, for the most part. I, I wrote a lot about the Beatles and wrote about. Uh, American Pie and, and the history of American Pie and just that kind of stuff, you know, college college fun kind of stuff. That's the I've I've heard from many many people that American Pie is probably the best American song of all time. I would I would concur. Yeah, I would concur. That's and and it keeps coming up in my life. I was in Montana last week, sitting down with a Grammy award winning Native American singer, and and afterward we convinced him to to do a circle uh, around the he fire and, and he and he started jamming with us, Donald. 
See, you would put me on the spot last night. His first name is Donald. I got three of his albums at home now. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was fantastic. And, of course, the first song he plays was American Pie. Oh, okay, of course. It's one of those uh, that I think everybody knows. I mean, you can play it in any walk of life in oh, an elevator so. bar and everybody on and, it, and it's got that it's got the you know the four chord uh progression that mm-hmm. that it, it, it can be heard in just about every other song in some other format and mm-hmm. so it's just it's got that that tune that that strikes your and is a little infectious without being too viral that we get sick of it well yeah that's the thing is there is a an art and a science to what sounds good to the ear and not a lot of people understand that mm-hmm. and i think back then especially during the Beatles days. Um, and you know, that song in particular is that nobody was making sounds like that. <laughs> uh, precisely. Yeah, no no so one was making changed. sounds like that. And, yeah. and it, and it's, and it seemed, you know, innovative and inventive and it was to an extent, mm-hmm. but, but at the same time, it was really just better appreciation of, of what consumers want, mm-hmm. of what markets want. Uh, and, and that, that notion, uh, led, frankly, in hindsight, led to what, what I do today, what we do today. Better understanding what people really want and just bringing that to market. So how was the website uh, initially in those days? Were you getting a lot of traffic? How uh, Do you remember how much traffic you would get on a, say, monthly basis? Uh, well, it, we're, we're speaking relatively. So honestly, if I got 200 page views, that, that would have been rather yeah. rather <laughs> remarkable. <laughs> Uh, It'd be like a million. I, you know, yeah. And it, it was more so it was an experiment for me. Uh, it was an opportunity to try literally everything, right? It, this is the early days of banner ads and sponsorship and blinking text. And Did you sell ads uh, on that site? I, I tried. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in college, so I didn't, I didn't put that much effort into it. What, what, what really worked well uh, or, or what transformed my perception of, of the world was that I first got an email from George Martin. George R.R. Uh, R. Martin? Uh, no. Oh, no. Man, how old are you? <laughs> I'm kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> the, the older George Martin. The older George Martin. Uh, and, yeah. and it was, you know, it was, it was evident that he was just figuring things out on the internet, too. It was wow. this kind of, you know, found, found your website on, found your site on How did he, how, yeah, how would people, I mean, Why was there a good I, search engine? <laughs> oh, well, no, well, I, you know, there were, this was a time when some of the earliest versions of search were emerging. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Yahoo, of course, had their directory at that point, and so that was one of the things I was experimenting with. Right, was how to get listed on directories and mm-hmm. uh, and bulletin boards, and uh, and and so that blew my mind in the sense that, to me, it wasn't uh, a reflection of building a really big website with a lot of traffic. Uh, it was uh, the implication of creating contextually relevant content and experiences, and getting the attention of the right people, uh, and so getting his his attention on the other side of the world. Uh, at a time when the, the internet was still new-ish, uh, you know, directed directed my passion toward uh, what I ultimately wanted it to be. I still wasn't sure of it then, but but it was this you know something went off in my brain that said, "This is the future. This is where you need to work and what you need to be doing." And a year later, it was the second uh, big conversation. A year later, Yahoo called uh, and uh, was recruiting people that had. Uh, social skills, so they were pulling a lot of people out of Arizona State and those kind of schools. Uh, social skills and people that knew something about the internet, right? A- anything. So, yeah, I-, I built a website. Even though and, you were a broadcast and, uh, radio guy and you didn't work within the space. Like you said, you're not an engineer. Right. 
they still were just pulling people who just had some sort of experience. In yeah, you know, back then it was still uh, largely the Wild West, right? Uh, everyone figuring things out, a lot of, not hacking, but a lot of just experimentation. And, uh, and, and frankly, they did have intentions related to my broadcast background. A uh, little, little company that a gentleman by the name of Mark Cuban started uh, had just been acquired by Yahoo. Uh, and so Yahoo was getting into streaming media before there even was such a thing with their acquisition of broadcast.com. And so I think that might have had something to do with it. But, um, but I ended up uh, out of college uh, a sales engineer. Um, and, and so they were looking for that skill set. They were looking for the folks that could deal with the engineers and, and developers and designers and so forth within Yahoo, but then also sit down with the clients uh, and, and biz dev folks and the sales folks and frankly make sure everybody sounds good and knows what they're talking about. Yeah. You know, I'm, I was kind of that intermediary, that, that translator who uh, could, could close business by better understanding or better discussing what was possible. Uh, and, and so there was, of course, a bit of a love-hate relationship between the sales guys and the engineers because sales guys would sell things and then engineers had to build it and, and engineers would build something brilliant and sales guys didn't understand it. And so I, I had the blessing of starting my career in that role, which, which gave me insight to just about everything um, uh, with regard to how the internet worked back then. Uh, early days of behavioral targeting and, and Yahoo used to do these amazing but annoying homepage takeover ads where they'd completely transform the website for a certain brand. Um, that was that was the right time and right place to be starting a career. That's great. And I guess things haven't really changed too much from engineer side and sales side <laughs> because it's that process in the education side is still still needing, uh, you still need that middle person to do that. Uh, it, it, exactly. And, and yet, what, what I'm passionate about today is that the, the companies that excel most, the startups that excel the most, are those that appreciate how critical that role is um, in, in different contexts, perhaps. But the, the idea that marketing is really what tells a technology company what to do uh, and, and has to drive what the engineers are building, whether the engineers agree or not. You know, there's no reason to build something that nobody wants. Uh, and so in the startup work I do today, um, that, that's exactly right. Most of what venture capitalists do is seek out the kind of founders that actually appreciate that, that know that that's how it's supposed to work or, or how it best works. And uh, we tend to uh, avoid uh, or, or help as best we can those that are one-sided, those that are just a couple of tech guys or, or just a couple of business folks. We try to help them appreciate how critical the other side of the equation is. Yeah, you need, you need multiple, di you need different parts of the brain. <laughs> to be, people sometimes are one side or the other and you need you need all yep. all of it <laughs> yep you absolutely do you absolutely do um and what's fun is i think our our entire economy our global economy is moving that direction much more quickly than we have in the past that if you want to remain relevant and employed in the future you have to have a degree of both of those sides of the brain you got to teach yourself the other one right if you're mm -hmm. creative Learn some technical skills. If if you're technical, learn learn some media or communication skills so that you can be be relevant or more valuable in the future. Well, those people are typically going to thrive in the industry. Uh, you said yourself, it's it's the people who get to see both sides of the business, understand it, and actually dive into it. Um, I guess what with you were talking about data and behavioral targeting back then. Data now has become such a hot button topic, and how much we're collecting, how much people know about it. Um, what type of data was being collected back then versus now? And is it really that drastically different? Uh, I think the, your last question is the great question yeah. to, to start with. N no, it's not that different, frankly. 
you know, the, the internet dawned the information age. And, and I think it's taken us 25 years or 30 years now to realize that we still don't understand what that means. <laughs> and, and the fact is that what it means is that we now have access to every bit of information that exists. Period, hands down, privacy, security, or not. Uh, back then, uh, we, we were, we, we continued doing things that, that now create scandals in, in issues like Cambridge Analytica and, uh, or, or our, our uh, private information being hacked from, from a, a bank or a credit card. Um, th- there never was perfect security online. Uh, there never will be. Even the blockchain has been has been hacked, uh, and uh, once once data any any data point is available on the internet, it is it is found, it is copied, it is replicated, it is duplicated, it is available to everybody else. So 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 back then we were doing that. There was this wonderful uh, little skunk works that never saw the light of day because it was uh, arguably premature for anybody's expectations or understanding of what was possible. But there was this little skunk works where uh, just through you know, cookies, some of the early technology, we'd, we'd build a profile of you without, without you giving any information. Wow. Uh, you know, just because we could see what you were um, consuming, uh, the kind of content you were consuming, the, the things you were clicking on. Uh, when, when you really wrap your head around, uh, to your listeners, when you really wrap your head around the fact that every single action that somebody takes, including scrolling a web page, right, every single action that somebody takes is trackable, not, not in a, an offending way, not in an uh, ill-intended way. It, it's, it's merely trackable because it's data. Uh, every data point is accounted for in some way. And, and that's why we, we see concepts just emerging in the last five years that data is the new oil. Uh, we're, finally, we're finally discovering that the most valuable companies are the companies that are just in the data business, that are mining this data set that's truly been around for 30 or 40 years, but yeah, folks are just appreciating, just now starting to appreciate what it means. Well, I think a lot of times, too, with people is they don't realize what these big companies do, you know, whether it's you know, the oracles of the world. They know the brand, they, but they don't know what they do. They don't know what these tech companies have been doing for years, but now I think Facebook's the face of it, um, no pun intended, or maybe the pun is intended, but it's they are be- they've become the data... Um, poster child <laughs> that's who's going to take all the brunt but really all these other companies have been doing it for you know like you said 25 30 years and 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 in fairness not even big companies that you know I, I work a lot today I work more with startups and brand new websites uh, brand new mobile uh, mobile platforms or mobile apps uh, and and by extension that ca- that of course personal blogs podcasts uh, the fact is, you, you, we, you all with with smaller businesses have as much access to the same data as the the oracles and the facebooks. Uh, when you have the technical technical know how, my, my our point about being a creative that has a, a degree of technical experience. When you have the technical know how, it's not hard to figure out how to use Google Analytics and things like Phantom Buster uh, and and more advanced. Uh, technologies to to absolutely know everybody about just just the hundred people that are on your website and and that's how uh, we we really encourage startups to be successful at the very least learn how to use data and put it to work because I don't care how many customers you have I don't care how many many visitors you have that data is a gold mine of information that can help you succeed 
yeah, utilizing that data. How do you feel, do you feel in the, at least marketing industry that marketers are utilizing the data correctly? No, <laughs> no, the, uh, the, the, the better part of why I do what I do today and, and why, why some, some close friends and professionals that I work with built media tech ventures with me was my experience coming out of Silicon Valley and seeing that the great majority of marketing people and even, even technology startup founders have no idea uh, what, what they're doing and have no idea what's actually possible. Uh, it, it, it was this, this eye, eye-opening experience that, that Northern California, now 10 years ago, so it's changed, uh, to, to be fair, but, but 10 years ago, it was this eye-opening experience that that part of the world really wasn't a bubble. Uh, and, and having been in it as I was, I, I really believed the rest of the world was on the same page as we were uh, with what Google was doing, uh, with what Facebook was doing. Uh, again, the camera. What, what were they doing at the time? I guess collecting data. Yeah, well, or, or even in a more, more simple sense, as marketers or, or as uh, website developers. Um, I, I, I think we wanted today to talk a little bit about search engine optimization, for mm-hmm. example. Uh, people talk, stopped talking about search engine optimization in Northern California 10, 15 years ago a, as, a, as a distinct skill set uh, because every web developer, every marketing person, every, hell, the CFO of, of a company there knows uh, a degree of what search engines do and, and what to do with them. And so it was eye-opening when I moved to Austin and, and, and got asked to come speak to you know, the Austin SEO meetup. And I thought the heck is an SEO meetup? Doesn't everybody know how to build a website that works for a search engine? It's, that's, that's how the entire economy works today. We're, we're all online. <laughs> how can you not know the, the fundamentals of, of the way the world works today? Um, and, and again, now we're getting there uh, slowly. But, but no, marketers, I, I find for the most part, still, um, for the most part, still more co- cause more problems than than bring solutions to, to bear. You know, for example, on Reddit just this morning, there was a massive argument about uh, the frustration that a lot of people trying to get in marketing have with sales jobs being being misleading, Sa- sales jobs uh, being promoted as marketing jobs, and uh, a, a bunch of folks rightly jumping in saying, marketing is not sales. If, if you're in marketing, your job is to eliminate sales. Uh, your job is to get rid of salespeople. Uh, and, and so there's, there's this ongoing frustration that um, no, one, no one has any sense for, few, few have any sense for what marketing is actually supposed to be doing and how. It's kind of a snowball effect, too, because on the client brand side or agency side, they still need the data. They still need marketers or salespeople mm-hmm. to explain this because, as you mentioned, only five, ten years ago, <laughs> there's still people who don't even know SEO. How the heck do you explain mobile device ID technology <laughs> and, exp- you know, and explain how you're able to collect those devices? I think that's an interesting conversation because you, you touch on SEO um, and, and thinking that the whole world knows in Silicon Valley, oh, wow, this is, this is how everything's run. But there's still a lot of places that aren't like that. So how do you feel when you walk into a room when you have people like that and you're like, do you feel frustrated? Like, you need to get up to speed, like, within the next 10 minutes? Because <laughs> you're way behind. Do, do I feel frustrated with those sales and marketing folks? Clar- clarify either. the question. Yeah, sales and marketing could be the brand direct people. It could be somebody who has their own business. Um, or startup, like is it like? No, uh, no. I actually, I, I honestly, I feel more frustrated with us. Mm-hmm. I feel more frustrated with those of us that know better, because our entire news industry, uh, as an example, has cratered because we, we marketers, have not stepped up and enabled it to work properly. 
we marketers have not done our job of making sure that uh, that, that meetups and, and startup programs and, and incubators are actually teaching the right things. We, we who know better have not demanded better. We've, we've allowed things to, to progress uh, in, in a bit of a downward spiral. We've is allowed we the industry or we, more we, government? We, I mean, well, how much oversight do you blame on you know, not having regulations in place? No, no, no. It's not an oversight question. Okay. Uh, it's not an oversight question in the least. What I mean is that uh, you, think about, you think about any local or regional economy, uh, in information historically... Not, not, as, not as much so recently, but historically information was purveyed, was communicated, was taught throughout the ecosystem by way of the news industry, right? The reporters and journalists. And, and I've, I've learned or I, I have this thesis that you can tell when a, a, a local economy lacks uh, marketers who know what they're doing, when uh, news reporting has devolved into little more than press releases. Because marketers' job is to make sure that the journalists and the reporters have... Uh, insight and depth to stories. And if marketers are no longer doing that, those reporters can't really get the information from anywhere. So it's more of a macroeconomic perception that marketers uh, in general, and I'm, I'm putting air quotes up in the air, marketers who really understand what marketing is, um, you know, have relegated themselves to uh, consulting jobs and, and, and let uh, let people who do Facebook ads and, and AdWords claim to claim to be marketers, and and because business people don't know better, and because journalists aren't explaining better, and because incubators aren't teaching better, uh, those that are hiring are in need of help. They go to that lowest denominator. They go to that person who runs Facebook ads, and then they say, "Yep, we're doing marketing because I have a marketing person who does Facebook ads." And six months later, inevitably, when those Facebook ads are insufficient, those business people get frustrated and say marketing doesn't work. And that perpetuates throughout the entire economy and ecosystem because we, marketers, are not demanding better of everybody's understanding of how this stuff works. How do we fix that? I know news industry, you just mentioned, is, it's, it's in flux right now. But how do, we, how do we as marketers fix that so that people understand? Yeah, that's uh, that's a great question, and, and it's uh, you know I wish I had the answer to it. I, I think a lot of it starts with what we're doing right here. Uh, I think a lot of it ha starts with um, I, those of us that have uh, more experience in marketing, just just like those that have more experience in technology or more experience in finance or more experience in what have you. Um, I, I I believe there's a bit of a moral obligation to to teach with altruistically. Uh, right, that, and, and maybe that's an altruism that, that you really only appreciate when you have kids, uh, as, as I've had. But, you know, I see my kids and I, I just think, damn, the only way they're going to be successful in the future is to understand this stuff better than anybody else. Th therefore, I have a moral responsibility to help them, right, to, to, to impart that perspective to, to them. And, and therefore, why not to other people? Um, and, and I think the challenge is we're such a capitalist economy and we, we expect to get paid for everything that, that here's the twist of logic, that, that we neglect that we're in the information age. And all of that education, all that knowledge, all that information is available for free. So what right do I have to make people pay me to learn it? Um, I shouldn't disadvantage others because they don't know how to use Google to find out how to be a successful marketing in this information age in this this internet era, right? Why why aren't we uh, y using our talents, whatever they might be, to 
to talk, to teach, to write, to, to do videos, whatever, whatever your skill set is, to enable others to be at least as successful. I mean, uh, it's something that we could teach, uh, like you said, your kids at a, at a young age. You know, like, is there an education forum for that? Or maybe a, a, we need to give these kids a tools to succeed in the future because you know, the traditional ways of learning when we grew up are not the same to now the information age and everything being out there. Yeah, yes, there is. I, I, I suppose my, my observation, my, my frustration is more so that we don't, we don't speak up to correct what's, what's not being taught accurately, mm-hmm. right? The, the forum exists to do it. For, for example, I've, I've said in some of the, uh, I've mentored in some of the, the schools, uh, small business uh, incubator kind of programs, right? These these six week kind of workshops where they go into the, the high school, and and they teach teach folks how to start a business, and and what's what's often aggravating in those kind of experiences is they're teaching people how to build how to start businesses the way the way you started a business 50 years ago, uh, right? You you know here are the different company types, and here's the accounting platform that you need to do, and here's uh, you know here are the kind of agreements that you would sign, and and um, you know, as of 20 years ago, the way we start businesses has completely changed. You put up a website, you start creating content, you see what the market wants, uh, and and then you figure out what you might be able to sell. And then if you start selling something, you put in place a corporate entity to protect yourself. And then, given the fact that you're selling some stuff, you worry about accounting because at the end of the year, the IRS is going to call. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it, we, we've shifted, because of this information age change, this internet era change, we've shifted the way people should be starting businesses. Uh, and I think that's, that's fundamentally where, where we might be able to uh, improve everybody's perception of things, right? Uh, in, our, in our startup incubators, for example, Often today on day one, we, we don't do lean canvas kind of crap. We don't do go talk to 50 people. What do 50 people know? We, we say, put up a website right now and then push the website on Facebook and just see what happens. Uh, see if anybody is even interested in what you're conceiving of, mm-hmm. right? Um, well, why Reddit, be, Reddit's a good place for that. Put it on Reddit. <laughs> exactly. No, that's yeah. exactly right. Put it on Quora, mm-hmm. right? A, a question platform that I love. Put it on LinkedIn and, and just see what people think um, because there's no reason to do anything else. If, if there's no enthusiasm, there's no support for it, there's no engagement with what you're doing. But, but again, we, just, we, we aren't teaching young people, we aren't teaching most businesses how easy that is, how freely available that is. Uh, you know, the other big notion I, I noticed when I shifted from the coast to here was that here we were still charging people ten dollars or $20,000 for a website. Blew my mind, right? You've heard of this thing called web, WordPress and the $49 theme for, <laughs> yeah. you could build a website in a weekend for nothing. But, but right, so we're, we're, enabling, we're enabling the teaching of the wrong things. Uh, and until, again, the rest of us, uh, we need to fall on the sword. Until the rest of us get more comfortable with being critical and saying, fuck, stop that, right? Mm-hmm. I love that you are employed because you call yourself a marketer, but what you're doing is not marketing, so stop, doing, stop, stop saying that, right? You're, you're misleading people. Uh, stop! Stop saying that it costs twenty thousand dollars and 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 sixty days to build a website. I'll, I'll do it for you tomorrow for free, um, because that's not that's not what we should be paid for, right? And we shouldn't be paid for the the technical things that are readily and freely available in today's economy. We should be paid for our experience, uh, our contribution above and beyond what what's there. Uh, we should be we should be paid for creating value above and beyond what. What really doesn't have any value today because it's it's so accessible and available to everybody. 
What uh, so within that said, once you have uh, one of your startups, you know, start to launch off, and you realize, okay, the conversation around this is good. Let's get going. What are some of the paid tactics that you will approach first? You know, Facebook you mentioned already, um, but is there a particular funnel approach that you'll go, okay, well, this is maybe the roadmap to a success, successful start? Yep. Um, I, I, I still fundamentally believe the only and always place that people should start is AdWords. I know that the volume and, and ease of something like Facebook has made it the popular choice, but frankly, that's a little bit of evidence of what I'm talking about. Right. What do you mean start with Facebook? Because at the end of the day, everyone still searches for something. Everyone. Not everyone is on Facebook. Uh, and AdWords, Google, and, and Search is designed such that you can guarantee a positive ROI. You can set up your, your, your marketing program, your paid program, to ensure that you make money. You can do it, right? Whether or not your business is, is designed to do it, uh, you can do it. Yeah, operationally, there's no control on that landing URLs, but... Correct, correct right. Yeah, <laughs> your, own, your own business has to be capable of, of yeah. delivering the results, but, yeah. um, but it, it, is, it is the only platform that is actually designed that way. And, and so when you think about uh, that fact, number one, guaranteed ROI, if, if you know what you're doing. Uh, and, then, and then the other more important fact, I think, which is, again, that we're in the information age, right? If you think of what you're doing in paid marketing uh, as marketing, not advertising. Another important distinction, right? You're on AdWords because it's marketing. It's going to teach you what people are looking for. Well, it's also not the traditional high-end funnel. It's it's basically at the bottom end of the funnel. It's near the bottom of the funnel. Just well, it's, it's yeah, frankly, it's throughout the funnel, mm -hmm. right? Some, somebody at the very top of the funnel is looking for houses in Austin. Well, that's the very top of the funnel. Yeah. And, and that's uh, valuable insight, right? How expensive is that search? How, what competitors are there, right? Then as a realtor, I can get insight to uh, who I'm up against, right? And what it costs to participate at that top of the funnel. And, and you can learn how, uh, it, if, if it costs $5 a click at the top of the funnel, well, the way Google works, there's a reason it's $5 a click. And so if you can't afford $5 a click, it's intelligence, it's data that uh, gives you insight to the fact that your business isn't efficient enough because somebody can afford $5 a click. And they'll get it at a cheaper cost. Uh, so if you can't, right, so if you can't, what else, what can you fix? Um, and then you, you can work through the funnel, right? You, you, in the middle of the funnel, I'm, I'm looking for certain markets or certain certain kinds of houses, right? So you got more depth, you got more long tail searches. And at the very, very bottom of the funnel, you have that, that search for buying, buying a home or, or uh, you know, terms or banking or financing or whatever. And, and, and that entire click stream uh, and, and the information you can garner from what people do, what they search for, what they're paying, et cetera, uh, is, is intelligence. It's marketing, right? You're actually learning something about your space if you know what you're doing. Besides which, the fact that you're paying for it on an ROI positive basis. How can you not start with that? Well, most don't start with that because of where we started the conversation, right? Most don't start with that because they don't appreciate or understand how that actually works. And so we go the easy route. We go the easy route, which is Facebook, and it's cost per click, and I can profile an audience, and I, or I could target my group, uh, and so it's, you know, seems like the logical choice. Um, don't misunderstand; it's definitely the second log logical choice, mm -hmm. right? Because of volume, because of the low cost, because of of the social media uh, impact that's there. It's definitely the second choice, and then I'd probably add Instagram. Uh, I'm sorry, not actually not Instagram. Pinterest is surprisingly effective 
uh, in paying for placement. Pinterest and then uh, as it's pertinent to the kind of business you have, LinkedIn is exceptionally effective if, if you have that, that more B2B or B2E kind of, kind of business that makes sense to be in that market. Well, you just mentioned all self-serving platforms that you as a person, as a business owner, say if you're starting your own shop, can do on your own if you know what you're doing. Big if, but that's they've developed such a great platform. If you know what you're doing, but but I'm glad that you even give a but. They they've developed such a great platform that what we might encourage is that again at the very least there's no reason you don't start with it and figure it out as you go, right? Do do the spend $100 on AdWords. If you can't spend $100 on AdWords, you probably shouldn't be in business, right? <laughs> Throw 100 bucks up and just see what happens. Get, get, get familiar with it. Because, again, it's, a, it's more of a data platform. It's more of a marketing tool than just an advertising tool. And, and so throwing some money up there, you get a sense for how this stuff works. And when you get a sense for how AdWords works and what things cost, by the way, it's, it gives you a competitive advantage in search engine optimization. You get insight to what content you might create. Uh, you get insight to who else is compa- uh, creating content for those keywords. And so you can start to tease out what kind of brand or what kind of business you like would create online. Insights. How much are these paying? How much yep. impression share are you yep. getting from, you know, within the certain DMAs you're targeting or whatever it is? Precisely. So, and then you can take that data, utilize that for an outward brand approach, say whether it's TV, eventually in that regard, and people go, you know, that side or connected TV or or just your display behavioral targeting, which it sounds like you were doing in the mid-90s. Um, so I guess with that said, um, is there like a, a a threshold of, okay, this this might be too much to spend on, say, when you're starting out your first business for the first year? Like, hey, is there you want to stay in a threshold of only like 10% max marketing or do you even want to market yourself at all during that first year yeah uh, great question it, but but a great question in the sense that frankly you know the answer of course is it depends yeah. um, I, I'd put it this way instead uh, marketing is learning what what to spend and where and why uh, marketing is not spending it uh, in, in the same twist of logic that I shared that marketing's job is to eliminate the need for salespeople there's a wonderful notion that marketing is also the job of eliminating the need to do advertising. You know, you think of a company like Tesla. Uh, they, they don't advertise and they don't sell to you. Uh, why? Because they've designed a product and, and a buying process uh, that, that just works. It's what people want. Uh, that's probably the, the, the defining uh, epitome of, of what it means to have done marketing well. My point being, is there a top-line threshold? No, because at the end of the day, it, it, it depends on what, what you need to do uh, in order to have the impact and kind of reach that you're looking for. But, but it, I, I also say no because what I advise most startups on is the fact that uh, you can do 90% of everything that's online for free, right? You create, create a tremendous amount of content, uh, build groups. I, I have 40 Twitter profiles, for example. You know how much it costs me to have a Twitter profile? Zero. And you have a few uh, troll, troll accounts too, to just back yourself up when you post stuff. <laughs> why not? <laughs> right. As, That's what as we, we chuckle, of course. But of course, That's right. What Kevin Durant does. I yeah. mean, there's <laughs> right. Uh, and, and you build distinct audiences and and right and distinct followings related to very niche topics. 
if you're not doing that, sh- shame on you, right? Because it's it's there. It's freely available. Uh, do you do you have a business profile on LinkedIn? Do you have a, a group? On LinkedIn, um, are you are you thinking about marketing and advertising for the sake of hiring people too? Right, Hire, and marketing and advertising isn't just about selling whatever you've got. How how can you attract better talent? How can you think about influencers? It, it, that's where yeah. I was going to go next. Yeah. Man, we have the same wavelength, right? So as you're doing that, as you're as you're attracting people, isn't that not also how you would attract influencers who maybe don't want to formally work for you, but would happily work on your behalf, which is what an influencer does, right? How do you do that? Uh, it's a very different um, brand and value proposition. It's a very different landing page, if you will, than, than just putting up an e-commerce site or, or, a, or a conversion form for your SaaS business and, and selling something. But it's the same process. It's still just marketing and some promotion and a, a distinct voice that appeals to those influencers. I mean, you can go really bad off the rails, like the fire Festival and what fuck Jerry did <laughs> I mean, I think most people, when they, what's crazy is when you watch that documentary and you go, oh, wow, I can't believe fuck Jerry did all this. And, but that is exactly a, like a, what a PR company can do to create a conversation around something that, unfortunately, the product they didn't know was going to be what it was. But that is what can gain steam. And that's how things can quickly, quickly escalate or you know, drastically, my, <laughs> go my, on my, fire. my my favorite and uh, more perhaps more tangible or practical uh, example of that is is if you don't recall or if you recall uh, a few years ago the the hype and the and the backlash over the notion that Amazon was going to put drones in the air to deliver products and it was it was a, it was a stunt it was kind of a publicity stunt but it was a brilliant publicity stunt through their marketing organization to figure out whether or not people would actually like the idea. And sure enough, it got enough demand and enough enthusiasm that what are they doing today? They're putting drones in the air to deliver products, right? Then, then it was a, it was a uh, you know April Fool's joke of sorts, mm-hmm. right? Can you believe that they would do this? The scandal and, and you know, violating airspace and what if what if the drones <laughs> fall out of the air? And well, now they're doing it though. <laughs> Why? Because they they established enough insight at, at no cost that it was a pretty good idea. Mm-hmm. Let's try it. I mean, even Uber with automated driving, um, that's kind of been the same way. I know they've been in the space at least for a couple of years now in the technology. Tesla's already there, but, um, you know, that's kind of the same regard. I mean, flying cars is the next big thing. And who alone, who knows how long it takes us to get there and the technology, but that's another thing. People are pumping out. Oh, well, there's companies that are doing this and exploring this. Um, So that's kind of the the next wave um, with... (laughs) flying cars. Well, that's that's the easiest way to appreciate mm-hmm. uh, our, our discussion of marketing. <clears throat> Excuse me, our discussion of marketing and what we try to teach mm-hmm. startups, right? A lot of a lot of startup founders uh, are, are very uncomfortable talking about their ideas because they're afraid those ideas are going to be stolen. Uh, there's there's no such thing as a new idea. Uh, your, your idea is not original, right? Your your intellectual property, your your need for an NDA is a little misplaced, right? Put put out there what you're thinking of, and see what happens. And and the worst that can happen is that uh, enough people react that it clearly is worth your doing. And it doesn't uh, matter and, if and now you got to in, in the market because that's going to happen. Well, m- right, and m- more valuably, multiple players help make it happen. Right, we're not all going to pick the one company in the world that does that one thing. We want competition. We want variety. We want choices. And many companies that were first in the space aren't around anymore. Are, are right. <laughs> you, are usually lose. Yep. Right. Second mover advantage is a real thing. Yeah. 
you want to learn from your older siblings. You learn from their mistakes and you make the right ones. Yep, <laughs> precisely that. That's exactly it. Um, well, with anything else you'd like to, to touch on, I know we're running up on time, but we would love to you know hear just kind of your insights on what you think the future holds for not only data collection, but um, I guess the marketing industry as a whole, the digital side. Where do you think we're heading next? Well, we're 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 real proponents in in media tech ventures. We'll, we're real proponents of the convergence of media. A uh, lot lot of different ways that that spun, whether it's omnimedia or multi-channel or, or what have you. They're all they're all notions that kind of mean the same thing. Uh, and what I'm referring to is the idea that you know I see most businesses still, unfortunately, consider if they should be blogging or, or doing YouTube uh, or, you know, hey, I, I really should be on Instagram. Apparently, Instagram's a hot thing and I, I need to post photos on Instagram um, or, or podcasting. And those are single channel. And, and my point is that in the last 10 years, uh, the cost of doing these things has, has fallen through the floor, enabling uh, businesses to be omnichannel. Right? If you're doing a podcast, uh, are you also writing up the content of that podcast? Are you are you putting it uh, on your website as a blog post? Are you are you pushing it to Medium? Are you uh, using some of the QA from the podcast and seeding Quora or seeding LinkedIn or or your Facebook groups? Uh, are you tweeting uh, content from the podcast constantly? Uh, right, most most businesses still will tweet once. Hey, I've got this sale coming up, or or I had this conversation with Paul O'Brien. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. You could tweet fifty times the same content or the same page in fifty different ways. Right, the the idea that uh, that this information age, and as we get comfortable with data and analytics and how everything is is fairly freely available, you can and, and need to be everywhere because what what used to be the case that you would learn of a sale from a newspaper, uh, or or you would you know figure out where to buy a mattress through television. What used to be the case that there were few channels, and those channels spoke to most of us, uh, is no longer true. What's true today is that I have a million different websites, uh, and and your audience, your market is going to use a million different websites, and you as a business either opt to be there. Or you're not. Uh, you can't alone be on Facebook or alone be on Instagram and expect things to work well. Um, so how can you very, very quickly and very efficiently be in as many places as possible uh, and teach your team, teach your, teach yourself uh, how to do that uh, on behalf of the company? Uh, you, you know, learn from things like employee employee engagement, uh, enabling your employees to be participants in the content you create. Uh, how can you? Uh, learn uh, search engine optimization in, in far more depth than just you know showing up first in, in Google, but but how to how to show up on maps, how to show up in local search, how to show up in shopping search, how to show up in you know that that the idea of search and the the pervasiveness of search has has moved into every every aspect of the internet uh, such that you can you should be you need to be uh, and it doesn't take much. Um, such that my advice might be this. If you're a business owner listening, you're, you're a startup founder, you're, you're a marketing person, uh, if, if your hired consultant, if your marketing team, if your uh, advisor isn't doing this for you, get rid of them, right? It's, it's our responsibility to expect more of those people who know better. Uh, and so if they're not doing this for you, just get rid of them. There's no reason to negotiate and discuss how they could do better 
People know how to do this stuff online. So just get rid of them and move on to somebody else who does because you, you can't afford to not be doing this stuff properly and efficiently and effectively. Uh, and and it's, it's high time we, we stop enabling uh, the poor marketing people who don't really know what they're doing and are, are frankly are kind of hurting businesses by not doing things effectively. Do you see that uh, most uh, startups, uh, say CEOs or people, founders who start these, do they have a tough time letting go of that? those tasks or that, that responsibility, uh, or do they want to let it, do you kind of advise them to do that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So, so when it comes to the startup community, and I'm I'm kind of curious if, if this thesis as is as relevant in, in bigger companies and, and bigger, bigger businesses, but there's a thesis in the startup community that, that every successful startup actually has three founders. Whether or not it's three people or not uh, is, isn't the point. There are three founders. There's the CMO. The CMO is responsible for. Their, their, uh, their only job is to figure out what the market wants and to tell the CEO and the CTO what to do. Um, most startups don't understand that. Most startups mess that up, right? They, they think the CEO, the founder, isn't the one who tells everybody what to do. No, 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 no. Uh, as a startup, you need to be building what the market wants. You need to be building what is competitive. You need to be building what is affordable and efficient. The only way to do that is from, from the perspective of marketing, number one. Number two, you, you got to have somebody delivering, uh, and that's you know, the CTO or, or the supply chain or, or whatever role is responsible for fulfilling a value in, in what they're doing. And then you've got the CEO, and the CEO's job is just to make sure those two people have as many resources as, as they need. Uh, audience, capital, you know, human resources, um, the most successful companies do that. Right? We talked about Tesla, for example, a little bit. Elon Musk didn't design the Tesla. Elon Musk doesn't build the Tesla. Elon Musk gets on Twitter a lot and makes us all want a Tesla. <laughs> Smokes weed Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> so, right? so, so no, notionally, um, what, what, what we find is that, unfortunately, and it's, it's why I'm so harsh and, and critical and encouraging of, of your listeners to demand better. Generally, what we find is that those founders, those CEO types, those business owners, generally what I find is that they're being misled. They have bad advisors. They have a bad marketer. Uh, they have a misunderstanding of what marketing is. And so they don't know what to expect. They don't know what to demand, right? That, that some, some person who runs AdWords is coming in saying, hey, I do marketing. Let me do that, right? And, and then the company just does that. And that's not marketing. That's an aspect of marketing. But just does that, and the business fails again. And then that business person says, well, marketing sucks. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to hire somebody else to do marketing. And then, of course, they, they get stagnant. Or you have an advisor who has the same perception. Um, an advisor in the startup community, I see this a lot in Texas. Uh, this Again, this r- distinction between how New York and California work from how Texas works. Texas is historically an enterprise hardware ecosystem, B2B, B2E experience. And so most of our advisors and investors here have no idea what marketing actually is. They're, they're telling our startups to sell something. Uh, and if you can't sell something, you must be wrong. Do you think the internet has caught up? I mean, I know there's a lot of startups that are just solely based on internet. Maybe it's, you know, aggregated data to help a user decipher, hey, what's the best credit card I need to go with? There's a lot of those companies out there now. Um, do you think that's kind of a way that most startups are having to go, like solely just internet data providers or helping people decipher things? No, no actually, I think it's, um, I think what's happening is that we're increasingly becoming more B2C-like. Oh, okay. 
that that everything can leverage what the internet does. And and my point about Texas and this poor advice is that we get a lot of people who still think that that the way to sell sell your you know your semiconductor is through phone calls and, and focus groups. Uh, no, uh, uh, your buyer has an individual uh, sitting behind a computer screen who is making a decision about whether or not to buy that. They are technically a consumer. They just happen to be a consumer who works for a company. That it's this notion that. Uh, Tom Ball with uh, uh, New Coast Ventures, Next Coast Ventures, I always get them mixed up, uh, makes a great point that, that B2E died. The idea of business enterprise was killed off about a decade ago. It's now called SaaS for a reason. That if you're not software as a service, notionally, notionally, not intentionally, but notionally, if your website isn't built, not like the old corporate website that explains your team and how wonderful you guys are and, and how to contact you, but is notionally built like a SaaS website where if I need to buy your semiconductor, I can, I can have a chat with someone on the website. I can experience it on the website. There's a you know, VR or AR experience where I can see what this, what this piece of hardware is. If that's not a part of your online experience, you are, you are 10 years out of date. You are way behind. Uh, that, that the best advice... Uh, I might offer is that we are moving to this more consumer-like world because we all have access to the same information and because marketers, marketers uh, are responsible for understanding how to do that so that your consumer, your buyer, your client can connect and engage with you as efficiently and effectively as possible so that you don't need to, in theory, you don't need to call them. You don't need to advertise to them. They will seek you out and buy from you. It's wow. great advice. Uh, how do people get in touch with you? Is there uh, uh, best best maybe way? Maybe not your direct phone line, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm pretty easy to find online, uh, and and hopefully that's an Google, example of Google. what we're we talking about. It, it really is. <laughs> yeah, look up look up Google. Years ago, when I moved here, my 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 point about SEO, I, I got frustrated on Facebook with everybody always asking for the best SEO in Austin. Yeah. I think it still works, but so what did I do? I went and built a landing page called the best SEO in Austin. <laughs> Uh, and I ended up showing right at the top whenever somebody searched for the best SEO in Austin. And then, of course, I wrote... You still have that domain? Uh, no, 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 not a domain. I oh. put it on my website. Oh, on your website. Put it on oh, my yes, website. Yes, yes. Well, and I, and I did it on purpose because then my landing page says, you should not hire me. Because if you think that the best SEO in, per, uh, in Austin is, by definition, the person who can guarantee they show up first and then just put up this landing page that says you shouldn't hire me, then, then clearly you don't understand what you're looking for and how this stuff works, right? Because I just hacked my way to the top of search. <laughs> and, and I use that as a reply. Every time on Facebook somebody says, who's the best SEO in Austin? I just put that link there to say, see, here you go. Um, so yeah, frankly, it is Google. Uh, I, I work with a company. I work with a venture development group in the startup community called Media Tech Ventures. Uh, I run an incubator called Collective uh, for media companies, media startups. And we're always looking for more mentors and, and partners and, uh, and, and, frankly, founders in the space. Uh, and then since we've had a bit of a search discussion, I'm kind of known as SEO Brian. Um, people think it means SEO, and it and it did. Did you have that trademark a long time ago? <laughs> no, because that because that too is right. We're in an era of namespace. Yep. There there are lots of other SEO SEO Bryans. Bryans dang. But but I got it first. I got it first, so I got the Twitter handle and so forth. Oh, good. good. Uh, That's yeah. so crucial. Instagram handles, Twitter handles. Grab grab yeah. everything. I mean, right? now things are .co because everything's taken up. Whether so. or not you're going to use it, grab yeah. grab everything. I don't do YouTube videos, but I got I got. 
SEO Brian on, on YouTube, so nobody else can get it, Describe right? As much and, as you can. and I tend to write more, so I'm pretty easy to find through through my website and awesome. that way. Well, thanks for joining us here in the queue. My real pleasure.